Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We have a special guest today. He's here. That's right. You know him. You love him. It's Jeff Casino. Oh, God. I was His really milkshake scared. brings all the boys to the yard. I was legitimately expecting someone to just like <laughs> pop into the channel right now. Like, Hello. I was like, dude, who did Jesse, like, <laughs> who did he book? Like, this is exciting. They got Keanu Reeves to come on. He got Uwe Bull. That'd be great. If Uwe Bull, hey, Uwe, I know you're listening. If you want to come on and pick a movie, we'll talk about it with you. Yeah, any movie you want. Uh, Same with Keanu. Keanu's welcome. Keanu's super welcome. There are many people who are welcome. I'm just yes. saying this right now. The list is quite long. <laughs> Who's not welcome? Um, My mom, for sure. I don't know. Um, I don't, yeah. Yeah, none of our moms. Um, We're not going to do that. <laughs> I, I but I mean, I, in terms of like Hollywood personalities. I wish I was better person. at uh, names. Harvey Weinstein. I, I, I was going to say that, you fuck. You're just better at names yeah. than me. <laughs> Harvey can't come on. Bill Cosby, fuck off. You yeah. can't come on. I mean, Who's Kevin, the other? Kevin Spacey. Spacey. Nah. Kevin Spacey. James you're, you're Franco. Not, not invited. Franco's not invited. <laughs> Is the Franco stuff like substantiated? See, the, the Franco stuff, not only... I don't know like what came of it in those payments but the fact that his like close friends came out and said like oh we'll never work with him again i was like jesus you're done yeah but like people do but that you don't know if that's just angling, you don't know right we don't know career. yeah but i think it's, it would be a bad move to have him on the podcast at this moment in yeah. time at any rate yeah. but um i showed jeff this earlier but are, are you looking forward to the passion of the christ too directed by mel gibson no obviously like i mean it's just the first one was an absolute when when i first i saw the south park episode long before i saw the passion because i was just completely uninterested i was like oh okay like a ultra christy christ movie i'm cool <clears throat> but so i saw the south park episode where they like call it a snuff film and they do all yeah. this kind of stuff and i was like <laughs> okay this is south park being like their normal hyperbolous selves and then only like a year or two ago, I watched it for the first time, and I was like, "No, this is a three-hour snuff film. It's like, so long. It's it so boring. No, it's so boring. And the only thing that's happening is this man is being tortured. Some people don't know how insane that movie was when it came out. It like took the world by storm. Is uh, yeah. all anyone could talk about. It had in like, like a cult following. Uh, it was like it was it, it was massive. Yeah, they would take like ch little children in their Bible schools to go see this film. Oh, it there were email chains about it and stuff back in the day when those were a thing between my older relatives where it was like, Jim Cavazio is playing Jesus Christ. His initials are JC. He is 33 years old. Jesus Christ was 33. And it was like all this crazy fucking shit. It just sounds like the shit they post on Facebook now. Exactly. Well, they just moved, right, to yeah. now yeah, different the social garbage. platforms. But do you yeah. think it'll be as, as violent as the last one? I, I hope so, right? It just gets murdered Well, I mean, again. maybe it'll just be three hours of him trying to roll a boulder. Out What's of the it way. called? It had like a subtitle. What they should call it is like The Passion of the Christ 2 Die Harder. <laughs> that, would <be> <laughs> uh, that would be the best name. Just Mel Gibson ever. leans full on into camp for it. Oh, oh my God. God. I think it's just going to be, I think it'll definitely be more subdued. Maybe a father son thing, you know? I think it's like, I think I read the synopsis. Let me see. I have it in our little channel here. A sequel to The Passion of the Christ. Uh, focuses on events three days between crucifixion and resurrection. So yeah, he's just rolling the boulder. He's just hanging out in a cave, like thinking. Yeah, exactly. that's. I think that's what it's gonna be. Eating snacks. <clears throat> it's just like Christ in a cave. Yeah. Well. Anyway. We're not excited for it. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 I kind of am in a really weird way. Where I, I am I'm just <laughs> interested Christ. to make fun of it. I don't know. I need the world to be pay taken up for, in storm. Pay attention for that episode, folks. Yeah. Uh, get your get your big boy pants on for a very serious discussion of the Passion of the Christ, too. Indeed. <laughs> but that's not what we're talking about today. 
This is not. Wait, what are we talking about? What today? are we talking about? We're talking about one, one of my favorite movies. Scanner? Scanners, yeah, by uh, Cronenberg. That's right. Welcome back to the most professional movie podcast on the internet. We're two and a half white men with English degrees. Talk about movies for way too goddamn long. Today, we're talking about Through a Mirror Darkly, the 1961 black and white Swedish film from director Ingmar Bergman and starring Max von Sydow. Jeff, thought, this was your choice. <laughs> I thought we were talking about Cronenberg scanners. Scanners? Did we all? What, what movie did you watch, Alex? I watched. Bergman. I think actually I'm on I the wrong scanners. podcast. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, this is not the cooking podcast. Oh that man, is, that was the last episode. Well, I got my dates mixed up, so I'll see you guys later. <laughs> yeah, see ya. Uh, we'll be back for Passion of the Christ too in 2022. <laughs> no, we did uh, Scanner Darkly. Jeff, this was your choice. Um, 2006 Richard Linklater film. Yes, sir. So briefly describe the film and why you chose it for the show. Yeah, I will. Fuck your briefly. No, uh, no right. uh, it doesn't have to be brief. <laughs> um, no, I chose Scanner Darkly. It just kind of popped in my head like any of my other choices on this podcast. I don't really make any of my choices with any kind of intent. I just go like, this is a movie I would really like to talk about. Boom. That's about as much thought. So this movie just kind of popped into my head. Um, so it, I believe I'd seen it before reading the book by Philip K. Dick, but um, that it derives from but i chose it because it's just a really great insight on drugs and drug addiction in like a very grounded and unique way that i don't really think i've seen in any other movie before the kind Mm. of real like boots on the ground viewpoint of being a drug drug addict and living in kind of a flop house with all your druggy friends and all the little things that come from that funny and dark and depressing and it's told from such a point of authority because Philip K. Dick was an unbelievable drug addict. Oh yeah. Yeah. He was, as we see at the end of the film with the uh, little credit to all his friends. And uh, there's been a lot of talk about just like drugs and drug addicts and this kind of opiate epidemic and this kind of still demonization of drug addicts that we experience today. So um, I don't know. I just thought it was a fun movie to, to go over. Yeah, I hadn't seen it in quite some time, but uh, as soon as it started, I like the scenes were playing in my memory as I watched it sort of thing. You know, it was so ingrained. A few surprises. I kind of forgot what the ending was, but I really enjoyed this movie as well. Um, Alex, yeah, what, what's your relationship with this movie? Oh, I loved it. Oh, wow. For me, I I had seen a few scenes or like the beginning of it when it first came out and this was before I really thought about movies in a critical way. So I like, I think the animation was throwing me off. It's not animation, right? They filmed it and then they had animators paint it's over called it. It's rotoscoping, yeah, I believe. Okay. Rotoscope. So maybe that threw me off and I like was too cool for it. And I thought it was just some stupid gimmick. Um, I've done that a lot, by the way. You were too busy watching classic cinema, classic edgy cinema, like funny games. Exactly, right? right? <laughs> like, I had to posture myself. So, I wasn't too into these, like, literature-based sci-fi movies. And, I don't know. I really, really liked the story of this movie. And I don't think that I've ever had a movie's ending uh, be so impactful on my judgment of the film that I would never say, like I would never say this is a bad movie ever, even with its flaws and everything like that. Mm-hmm. The ending, for some reason, puts it in a a group for me of movies that I would always say is good, which I think says a lot about this movie. It's not just the ending that that does it, but I don't know. Yeah, well, before we jump into the storyline, I wonder. I also wondered. What's your guys' relationship to the director, Richard Linklater? Had you seen his movies before? I'm guessing you've seen at least some of them. It's pretty hard not to. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen, uh, you know, we were just talking about this before the mics warmed up. but uh, Yeah, I was guessing which of his movies Jeff had seen. Which he got all of them. You know, just <laughs> yeah. confused. Uh, Waking Life is probably my favorite film besides the uh, Romeo and Juliet. Damn. Oh, really? praise. Yeah, Waking Life is like I watch that movie every year religiously just because it's it's such an important piece of art to me. Um, School of Rock. 
amazing absolutely movie. i mean amazing banger yeah um and then scanner darkly and then boyhood which i didn't that's the one i missed i missed boyhood i didn't know if you'd seen that yeah boyhood uh i had seen it on recommendation from being on dax like uh, being a viewer of Dak Shepard's podcast because he said it was really amazing and I found it to kind of just be kind of overhyped and derivative but we're not reviewing boyhood we are not we're not reviewing boyhood thankfully yeah no I love I love him actually I enjoy a lot of his movies and I think he he just does it for me I don't know what it is when it comes to the movie experience ah, Richard Linklater just he does it for me I was gonna say not movies that that will like maybe win a lot of awards or make a lot of money or things like that. I just think his movies are extremely fun and entertaining. Yeah. He has quite the range here. He's really good at hangout movies. I feel like like dazed and confused and slacker, probably like one of the, or two of the biggest classic hangout movies. And I think that actually carries into scanner darkly. I think like the first half of this movie basically functions as a hangout movie. It's just a hangout movie that features like degenerate psychopathic druggies which is hilarious mm-hmm. and i'm really into that but yeah i mean uh i i did not like boyhood uh but i really liked his before trilogy he has all these movies before sunrise before sunset and then before midnight that he's made over the course of like 20 years with ethan hawk and those are really great uh, movies yeah i think he's he's an interesting director for sure i don't have a full like analysis of him because I've only seen scattered movies, but uh, the ones that I've seen I've mostly really enjoyed. You've seen School of Rock though, right? I don't remember School of Rock. Oh, I barely remember Dazed and Confused. How do you barely um, remember School of Rock, dude? I mean, that's like childhood oh. classic. I don't know. I, I think I saw it once, like when it came out. I mean, I never saw it again. All the time. On, uh-huh. on I think in my brain, it's like it's like oh, Jack Black in a silly comedy. I didn't even realize it was a Linklater film until I was looking at his filmography like yesterday. I haven't memorized. It's a Jack Black. It's like the Jack Black silly comedy, though. It's like it's Hello, the one this that is like Schneebly. <laughs> it's the one that put him on the map. You know, like this was the movie that kind of solidified his comedy style. I don't. Know, I love School of Rock, but again, we're not reviewing School of Rock. Scanner Darkly, yeah, is uh, is I think the best representation of Linklater's uh, film, artistic, and I don't know, just directorial style. There's some just incredible scenes in this movie, and and it's weird talking about it like in shots or like because it the rotoscoping does add a layer of disconnect from this being real. Like when you're watching a movie regular just with actors even though it's a movie you can kind of get lost in it but i always kind of feel like animation puts a a block in front of that where it's always going to be animated so you lose a little bit of that which is a very interesting phenomenon in this movie because it's such real intense human content but with this kind of rotoscoped cell shaded style which i don't know it's just created a very interesting dynamic well, how did you feel about the visual style, Alex? Were you a fan? Did it take a while to get used to or anything? It did take a, a minute to get used to, but I will have to say, watching it on Amazon, sometimes there's like little factoids that Amazon will throw out while you're yeah, streaming. X-ray. That's what it is. Um, yeah. And I saw a few things about the film, and I learned about this rotoscoping thing, and that made it way cooler. Because when it first came out, around the time that macbooks and like um desk mac desktops were getting really popular again and photo booth was popular because it had all of these like filters and that was like the first introduction of social media filters right and i actually thought that they had lazily just shot a film through something like that when it first came out, right? <laughs> Which I guess is, is a fair criticism. If the movie did do that, it would be like, fuck you. But yeah. when I learned about this, I was like, this is fucking badass. Like, it would be cool to be one of those people that gets the film afterwards and then you do your thing over it, right? To make it look like this and then put it all together again. It's just, I don't know. I thought it was really cool just like, construction and everything like that and had i not yep. known that little factoid it would have been less cool so i loved it and really quick i just have to say that this film t- 
takes place right next to where I live. Yeah, I was. I wanted to mention that I was like, "This is uh, Alex's home turf." Yeah, County of Orange, <laughs> L.A. It's fucking yeah. baby. All of the freeways, all of the buildings, and everything. I was like, I know exactly where all these freeway exits are. I know this building. <laughs> nice. like, yeah, it was nuts. Going back to the rotoscoping, um, Waking yes. Life is also rotoscoped, and okay. um, this I. Uh, it's done in a very different way. It leans way more artistic, whereas in Scanner Darkly still tries to maintain the structure of like the human face. And from time to time, there are times where like you you have like the distant shot where like people don't have eyes and they're just like a mouth, you know, and which I mm-hmm. think is great. But Waking Life leans harder into that. But rotoscoping is incredibly expensive and labor intensive, and that's why you just don't see it anymore. I mean, computers can just do what rotoscoping does a lot better and a lot cheaper but you yeah can't still, i don't think you can still quite get that uh that look yeah the movie was shot over a few months but then um i believe the post-processing post-production where it, it went through the rotoscoping treatment took like a year and a half or something like a crazy amount of work and time went into making this movie look the way it does damn and it's uh, i think it it's to the credit of the movie because it adds a layer of um kind of haze and fog and psychedelia man makes you feel like you're on substance d watching this shit robert downey jr turning into a cockroach <laughs> making noises at you i laughed so fucking hard at that. <laughs> yeah, and that's what i meant before by like the whole grounded um aspect of the movie like this is a movie that's obviously written by somebody who has sat in a room high off their ass with their friends and watched as their friends like did goofy shit to them and they're all doing goofy shit to each other like it has that edge to it where you know that the source content is genuine oh definitely yeah philip k dick definitely did all this stuff all this this paranoid running through the house drug like every yeah every scenario uh barris is a very great character of that representation but every scenario that they have is so real it's it's so like a very real scenario that drug addicts go through where they conflate and they get paranoid and they and everything gets more and more and more conflated until it's like this huge like mission and and it's it's so interesting (laughs) how well that's done in this movie it's done really well for anyone who's had any like even fleeting glimpses of this kind of world it's it feels very real and the conversations feel like real conversations that's why i said earlier it feels like a hangout movie just starring like demented drug addicts and i I have to say it is a piece of absolutely inspired casting to have robert downey jr as barris oh my god and it made me think that if we ever do a fear and loathing episode he's definitely like alternate casting for johnny depp Oh, for sure. I, I can mean, see him being Hunter so well. And I don't know about Keanu, uh, but both uh, Woody Harrelson and Robert Downey Jr. have had you know struggles with addiction of their own in the past. Mm-hmm. So they very much like fit into the that role really well. Mm-hmm. Right. It's it is a very Robert Downey Jr. role. There's a part of it where it's it seems like he's just playing himself. It's a, it's a role he. I knows. have been told. Because this is a, like your to your credit of the point of being this a hangout movie, Waking Life and this movie are the two movies that me and uh, my friend Skylar used to show to everybody that came over. It was like they were the two movies we would play because they were interesting and introspective and prompt conversation, but were still fun enough to where like you weren't so locked in. And uh, and I've been told by multiple people, I don't know, I don't think this is a compliment, but a lot of people are like, oh yeah. You remind me of Barris. Interesting. I don't like, think I agree, uh-oh. but I didn't know you when you were seventeen. So, yeah, I mean, I not the shadiness, but just like the um, the like douchebaggy know it all. <laughs> you know, like, like I mean, Barris can never be wrong. He always has to like create and like a circumvent a way to like invent a way where it's like there someone else who gets something right he's like yeah well you know in that situation yeah he he is very (laughs) he he wields a vortex of logic at at like an incredible and vocabulary yes yeah incredible pace and vocabulary his diction is like perfectly yeah everything yeah i have a question about the acting 
Is Keanu Reeves good in this movie? That's my question. He's he's very mid uh, mid stage Keanu. Like he's kind of he's at that point in his career where he kind of acted the same. But I think it's appropriate in this one. I it, it took me a little while to warm up to him this time. Um, being a little more critical of his acting, but it's like he's playing, <laughs> and this is no no disrespect to Keanu. He seems like a great guy, and I like his movies a lot. But he does best when he's playing either John Wick or like a burnout. And th- yeah. in this movie, he is playing a burnout, and it gets more and more burned out. It, it's interesting because I think it plays into the story really well. Actually, his his like acting style. He's like slowly being doled into this like nobody just this mess and like muck of different people he doesn't even know who he is because it's i don't know so i think that that deadening works really well but i don't want to say that that's him like showing his talent in this movie i think that it kind of just all fell into place like that but i will say that there are times where keanu he's an interesting one in my opinion he's an interesting actor um, there are times where he's like been terrible, right? Excruciatingly bad. Dracula, Garrett with Gary yeah, Oldman. Right. Um, but even around that same time, he was doing movies like Speed, which are fucking amazing, and like great movies. And his acting was perfect. So I think that people have just casted him early on based on looks, you know, yeah. rather than his acting talent. And I think Jeff's right. This is like just the beginning of when he was like, all right, you know what? I'm going to try and just kind of go off and do my own thing. And so he's working through some stuff here as an actor, I feel like. Whereas everyone else, besides Winona Ryder, is pretty much like on par. I'm pretty sure this is right around when his partner died as well. So he either is oh, really? like in okay. real life. So I think that there is a level of just like subdued, like kind of abandonment of anything and i I think that's very well captured in this movie and and the to the point of like him being good in this movie like he has a great diction and he's really great at making things his making lines and so like all of the monologues that are excerpts from the book like all like how did like how does a scanner see does it see darkly or clearly like that all Mm -hmm. of those little uh monologues are so wonderfully delivered and so beautifully and captured and you can like feel the pain and like the, the questioning and like the the loss in his voice and so those moments i really think he's able to convey a lot but he's also using like philip k dick's incredible writing style so you know there's a there's a there's an element mm. of credit that needs to go to philip k dick oh absolutely um yeah to clarify my thoughts on the keanu question i think he's pretty well cast in this i, I do and i he won me over more and more as it went along. And I think that speaks to like, there are different categories of actors, right? There are people who are transformative, like Philip Seymour Hoffman off top of your head, like people who could just chameleon into all kinds of roles. And then there are actors who aren't like that, but you need to cast them in the right kind of roles. And that's not like to denigrate their acting ability whatsoever. I think it's like much more difficult than we give people like Keanu Reeves credit for to, to inhabit the the spaces that he can inhabit as an actor it just doesn't happen to be like daniel day lewis level range oh so it's all about the casting like i don't think it was his fault that he was so terrible in dracula it's just like why did you put him in that movie he clearly was not suited for it and clearly just did not have that range to to do that especially when you put him up against like anthony hopkins yeah and gary oldman (laughs) gary oldman and you know it's just it it's like why are you making this kid do a struggling english accent you know yeah as an actor it's like important (laughs) to do that shit but this film actually i just want to say he's part of the reason why i feel like the ending is so impactful the way he acts that final scene out and he like kind of looks up to the sky and he's like, oh, I saw death growing from the ground or oh, from the yeah. earth. You know, it's like the way he delivered all those lines. I was like, fuck, yeah, dude, this scene gotta, is amazing. I mean, for the sake of me and choosing this film, I really think we should t- just talk about the ending in its own little bubble because the ending of this yeah. movie is incredible. So f- let's do it. Yeah, I mean, do we want to start that now or do we want to maybe go into Philip K. Sure, yeah. Well, I have a, like I talked about how the first half is um, 
basically a hangout movie. And I couldn't remember the ending or I wasn't thinking about it. And so I was like, what is this movie about, though? That was my question. I haven't I haven't read the book. I've Would read a lot of Philip K. Dick. I filled you in on that? On what? Would I, I could answer that question. I mean, I, obviously, a, a, a book, what is something is about is your interpretation. Oh, yeah. Well... Well, let me finish this thought real quick. Oh, sorry. I, I like that the the narrative felt very loose up until the point where it wraps up at mm-hmm. maybe the last 10 minutes. And I think it did a lot for the story's credit that it ends the way that it does. It made the movie about something, which even if it didn't, I think this movie would still be really interesting to me particularly. But the fact that it ended the way that it did just did it a really good service. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. <clears throat> this movie does, if I'm going to talk about its faults, it definitely tries to cram a very complicated story in a very short amount of time. And you can see the kind of fragmented aspect of the storytelling where you, I don't know, to me, this movie very, was very obviously uh, a book. It had that feel to it where I was like, there's much more here than what's on the surface. But what they do show is brilliant and they do it very well. Uh, my one biggest complaint would be like how they handled the character Freck. He's much of a big, much more of a bigger character. He's actually like a central character throughout the book. And he he kind of represents like the, the falling addict. And there's a lot of really great Freck scenes. Um, he's a great the the performance by Rory Cochran is incredible though. Yeah, I mean he 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 nailed Freck as like a person, like he nailed that style really well as the book described him. But you know Philip K. Dick is also one of my favorite authors. You know one of the godfathers of science fiction, and uh, went through many years of drug addiction. And so this, like we were mentioned, this was a very real thing for him. And so this story is basically the the setup of Bob Arctor. It's how do there's a group of people who need to infiltrate New Path, which they believe is the producer and manufacturer and distributor of Substance D, which is produced by a small little blue flower. And so in order to do that, and they mention this in the movie, they say, how does New Path have the only place where our scanners can't breach? A scanner is the kind of technology that's used in this totalitarian uh, high surveillance world that this this movie takes place in. There's a lot of really hyper tech surveillance and everything can be infiltrated. Pretty much everyone's house is bugged. There's surveillance everywhere. And so he's asking like, why can't we see New Paths facilities? And they're like, oh, that's the deal they have with the government. Oh, this, that's what a scanner is? A, that's what movie? a scanner is. Yes. I didn't know that. <laughs> Did you know that, Alex? Did you pick that up? I had no idea. Yeah, a scanner is the is how the government looks into you as a person. And that's why when Keanu says, uh, what does the scanner see? Does it see clearly or darkly? And he's asking is, is the scanner seeing me for who I am or who I've become? And how will Got it judge it. me? Got um, it. The context. There's a lot of, like, there's a huge idea of that, like, the big brother aspect is it's almost its own entity. Like, it is controlled by the government, but, like, the scanner itself judges you and makes a decision. It's almost like mm. God. And uh, maybe they could have handled that a little bit better. It's just a really complex that. thought because they don't, they don't give enough context to the world that they're living in. They show the sort of hyper surveillance, but uh, yeah, they're setting up Bob Arctor to infiltrate new path. But to do that, they need to take somebody from the top, from somebody who can absolutely infiltrate because they were in the, the sheriff's department and they have to systematically break them to pieces until they are able to be basically chemically lobotomized by substance D and then inserted into New Path, which is a recovery facility. And basically almost like a, um, what do they call that? Like a, like a person, like an agent, like a, like a sleeper a agent. Sleeper sleeper cell. Agent, a sleeper, sleeper cell. cell. Yeah. He's almost like a sleeper cell where like they're they're implanting him with information as they go on. You see that in the end of the movie where Dawn is driving him to new path and she's kind of quickly telling him everything he needs to know in his subconscious. So he'll remember it and be able to report back to her on Thanksgiving. And so it's kind of how these people destroy a man and it's from that man's perspective. He's totally ignorant to it. He thinks he's doing this himself. Yeah. You don't, you're not aware of it until until he's broken yes. until after he's broken and already in new path and i think i like that i like the way that 
they structured that. It, it makes um, it makes the first half. It feels like there are stakes involved, but you're not really sure what they are. You think maybe it's just the stakes of sanity for Keanu Reeves slash Bob Arctor. Like, is he just off his rocker? You see his mind start to fall apart, and you're only aware of the the grand narrative, the overarching narrative, at like the very very end. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I really like that reading because I think it like it's exactly the way I experienced this movie. It's like you knew something was tense, right? It could have been the drugs. It could have been that he was getting addicted to the drugs and he could be getting in trouble, you know? And I didn't quite know whether or not... You're I sitting didn't... there thinking, is he a gigantic drug dealer? Is he just not aware of it? Is he so far down the rabbit hole of his own addiction and psychosis that he's like blocking it out or something? Exactly. And so, well, like you said, the theme of sanity is what I felt like was at stake, right? And then the romantic relationship with Winona Ryder's character, Donna, kind of, it fell kind of flat in the middle of the movie. It was like, we're, the movie was, the film was like, we're not going to pay attention to this anymore. And then when it came back, it, I was actually very surprised by the twist mm-hmm. that she happens to be Hank, his supervisor at work. Yeah. Um, I had no idea. And that's when the pieces for me started to fall into place that like, they had kind of set this guy up and everything, but I had no idea then about the little, you know, secret spy injection into the new path thing. And I think it's interesting too, that it was just a total gamble. Like it wasn't an insured task, right? Well, when you, they get to the a... crux of the morality of the, the film. Sorry, Jeff's I'm like just ch- dying to jump in. To talk. I'm yeah, like no, you're good. I'm, I'm at done. The bit I'm sorry. <laughs> Please edit out all my interruptions, Jesse. <laughs> no, uh, I would have, but now you said that. Fuck you. Um, <laughs> so I, I know, dude. I, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be. Inter- this is just like this is one of those movies that you know it. It's like a piece of. It is a piece of literature, and this is what we do as English majors. This is what we've been trained to do: is break literature down into its line by line analysis and create connections and context throughout other points in the literature. And this movie is like a proverbial fucking playground on to do that. Like it's a movie that I always feel you have to watch twice because you need to watch it once, get all the information and then watch it again and put all the pieces together like a puzzle. Like there's so many little pieces where Donna is implementing these small code phrases into uh into Keanu's mind like maybe you should buy her some blue flowers some blue flowers she says uh, when they're when they're talking about cats and they're like tripping out together and she's like just dripping little spring flowers with blue in them might come up first like she's putting these little thoughts into his mind about blue flowers over and over again and um the fact that she doesn't do substance d she only does coke and so that's kind of don't they do it together once she says let's go drop some death yeah she says drop some death she's it that was a poorly um written line it's she's kind of trying to goad bob into being in a better mood so she's saying hey bob let's go back to my place and you can drop some death and you know we'll get high and we'll kind of chill out and get some tequila and he's thinking oh i'm gonna get laid finally and uh and so, but when they put it in the movie, it's very, they stumble over it and they kind of make it seem like Donna's doing it as well. But in the movie, she never takes D and she only smokes joints. Their relationship is a little bit undercooked for sure. It's not undercooked. It's, it's a relationship between an actual undercover officer and somebody who's totally fallen. And she, she's acting like an actual undercover. She doesn't want to fuck her target she doesn't want to she doesn't want to have sex with the guy she's like trying to dismantle so she pretends like oh i do much too i do too much coke i do too much coke and i can't be touched that's her being a good detective creating a situation in where there's a block where she doesn't have to do something oh i just do coke i don't do substance d bob didn't do that because he wanted to fall he wanted to to collapse and become nothing. They picked him specifically because of that. Uh, you, we see that with a little bit of exposition showing his life prior to being a drug addict with his wife and children, and you know, just working for the sheriff's department and being a good citizen. And you see like this kind of specific way of like how a good undercover acts and how a shitty undercover acts. It is 
at the beginning, that's another thing that I thought the stake was at too. I thought it w- might be like one of the dark detective movies where, you know, he's just like dancing the line between being a criminal himself. But I thought it was really sad and like it, it was really poignant when Hank, still in the character of Hank. Also, I just want to point out how cool those changing animation things were. <laughs> The, the, At first, I thought I was like, "What the fuck is happening?" Some and of the faces like, on there on the to ah, change. Yeah, it's Philip K. Dick. Yep. Really? Yeah, mm-hmm. they used his visage. Yep. Okay. There's a That's few. Cool. There's a lot of uh, Tupac too. Things. I think. I don't know. About um, that. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, I was like, damn. I don't really. I think he was still alive. <laughs> no, no, no. He was dead, actually. Yeah, 2006. Um, Tupac was long. Was he? quote unquote dead? Yeah, he died Question in '96. Or did he? Did did he? He? <laughs> okay. Anyway, we are not a conspiracy podcast. Let's move along. <laughs> Although Alex Jones is in this film, and I want to say that that oh, yeah. probably was my favorite. He's scene. in Waking Life too. Mm, we uh, could do that. Okay. Is that your favorite scene? Uh, Alex Jones. No. Alex Jones getting taken off the street by like corrupt cops or whatever. No, when they tell when they tell Keanu like, "Oh, Donna was never the target. Really, we were just going for for Barris." And that's when, what's his name? Bob Arctor? Yeah, Bob Arctor. That's when he like starts to, I don't know, figure out everything that's going on. And I just feel like the connection then between him and Winona Ryder, it like got so much stronger at the end and everything made sense. And it got so much sadder to me. I don't know. It was just terrible. Yeah, I love that you brought all that up, Jeff, because like it had the impact that it did, but I didn't intellectualize afterwards the fact that like like reexamining all of these scenes with them together with Winona Ryder and Keanu. Watch it again. So I was like, like, yeah, that's what I I like. Your reading there, it's you see you see all the things you didn't see the first time. Yeah, it's like you now that you have the ending in hand, you're like, oh, Barris was just kind of like a plant like the whole time like he was just he's a red herring he's just a red thing. herring yeah. exactly like there's so many little things that start to make sense like the doctors and the way they they kind of like are almost uh, what is it called in in courts uh guiding the witness they're almost like guiding keanu to the wrong leading. answers leading thank you mm-hmm. uh they're almost leading him like to the wrong answers and you kind of see like he's starting to realize like is everyone against me like, am I just, have I, have the drugs made me into such a person that I am the ultimate enemy to everybody? There's many scenes where people look at him, like, disgusted, or, like, especially the the female doctor. She very much is, like, very matter-of-fact and, like, kind of treats him like shit. But then there's, like, moments of levity really quickly where her tone flips. There's so much tonal shift in the way people talk mm-hmm. to Bob Arctor that it's almost, you can't quite tell, like him, who is his friend and who is his enemy? He's totally alone because everybody seems to be against him. The movie makes you paranoid. As Bob Absolutely. gets more paranoid, you get more paranoid. And that's one of the brilliant things about it. Absolutely. I was going to say, I just love the fact too. I mean, it's based off of a book, so it has to follow. It doesn't have to, but it should follow the literature. But I just... I don't know if I could have uh, handled it would have still been a great movie, but I don't know if I could handle it emotionally if Bob was just, you know, one flew over the cuckoo's nest, like was total lobotomy and just didn't remember because they were talking how they're like, hopefully one of those dusty brain cells mm-hmm. will like fire and remember what it's supposed to remember. And the fact that he slipped the flower into his boot is just very reassuring and it made the movie much sweeter than it needed to be, I yeah, guess. It's not all for nothing. Exactly. The rest the the beginning of the movie is pretty like it's not edgy, it's just seedy. You feel not only paranoid, but you feel like a little dirty like watching the film because anyone who's done drugs or even been in a like a young college house with a bunch of dudes, like that's what it looks like. There's just trash everywhere. There's paranoid people just running their mouth going crazy and the ending of the movie just really tied it up for me and if it wasn't there i wouldn't have enjoyed it as much as i did definitely i mean it's like you know i've been in my share fair share of flop houses and and it's definitely uh it's definitely a great representation of that kind of 
ordered chaos that addicts have where it's like everything they know where everything is but from the outside perspective it's absolute madness and you're like yeah, what the fuck is exactly. this place they're operating on their own just insane logical i don't know plane of existence <laughs> absolutely i mean like and like it would we'd be remiss to the to the listener to go through all of our favorite scenes but just just please like we should do them though i'm going to go pee and then we'll do them okay opportunity to light this joint up <laughs> cuz all of this will be edited out i'm so happy you like the movie dude Oh, it's, Dude, I'm it's so, so happy good. you like this movie. Like it's, it it makes me cry at the end every time. Really, every time. I'll mention that in the in the actual recording, but I'll go further into that. But yeah, the you know I'm an addict, you know, uh, and <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, I mean that it, it it touches a lot because I've lost a lot of friends to this, and it's just that final moment was very like I don't know. But yeah, again, we'll. I'm not going to mention that. But but yeah, we're here. Yeah, we are. All here. right, put this joint out. Hmm. Put this what was that? Out. So let me put this oh, joint put out. The joint out. Okay. You were, sorry. You couldn't hear me. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah. Get angry. That was hilarious. I heard. I heard him every single time because I knew that he had said that before. Uh, that was hilarious to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll keep it in. We'll see. Yeah. Um, Alex, did you do you have a favorite scene? I think like if people have watched this movie, then they'll be happy to hear us talk about the scenes that okay. we loved because it is that kind of movie. It is right? where um, you where you have a favorite scene. My favorite scene was definitely uh, the final conversation between Bob and Hank, and then like I was kind of unsettled because I. Hank or Bob leaves the main character Keanu Reeves leaves the office but the camera and the scene is still in Hank's office Mm -hmm. and I'm like what's going on here why aren't you following the main character like I want to see what what the ramifications of that conversation are on on our protagonist are and instead it's stuck there and then it revealed who Hank was and I just love how they did that and I loved the music in that scene and I don't know it was just it was interesting because I was like, how how does this guy have Donna's number? How does she know where he is? Because he didn't tell her. She'll be here he in five say, minutes. Five yeah, minutes. Like, what the hell right is outside. going on? Doesn't yep. say where. Very odd. She, she just knows that she knows that Bob is just gone. Doesn't and, matter. Yeah. That's such a great yeah. point, Alex. That scene is makes me to this day physically uncomfortable. Because you you kind of start to root for Bob in a weird way. You kind of want mm-hmm. him to succeed. You want him to get out of this rut because you see a good person there. And Hank is so cold and callous and just like yeah. almost like just, yeah, like, like, like laughing at him at times. Like, you're in a bad yeah. way, buddy. It's like, fuck Lights up you. <laughs> like, you like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, I, like, like this is a position you're supposed. Oh, like I didn't ask to be. Oh, no one put a gun to your head. No one put it in your mouth. And this is definitely like Donna speaking as someone who has other su- cops cope. Yeah, with Yeah, that's how she has successfully managed to cope with it herself. Yeah, and so you get an element, so that. and you can start when you watch it again and you see Hank. You can start. You can see Donna's um, body language in the way got he talks. It. Okay. Uh, check those scenes again. You can see like when she says, and we got him and she does a little like fist pump. It's a very like, yeah. it's very dainty the way it's done. Oh. I don't know. I can just, it's very Donna to me. And uh, no, that scene, I love that you picked that scene because it's physically uncomfortable as all hell. <laughs> and then you get like a cool, like those hallways with the red green lights. They're meant yeah. to, they're meant for, um, so undercovers never run into each other. That's why they're yeah. like that. They they tell you when the hallway is clear so you can come out in your actual like person and you never undercovers never see each other. Just like a plain bathroom. Yep. <laughs> Just like a scanner darkly question oh, mark. What's your favorite scene, Jesse? <laughs> um, I got a few. They're all they're all like all hangout scenes. I love it when they're in the car and they're trying to figure out if Barris actually left the door open with a note saying to come on in and he's just being as <laughs> obfuscating as possible in answering the question just talking in circles there's also the scene where he comes back with the 18 speed bike and then like figuring out the whole that it's not 18 speed and then deciding it's a conspiracy against them just this hilarious drug 
conversation. The, the um, bike I conversation. love that stuff. Yeah. yeah, the high conversations. Anything with Robert Downey Jr. talking, I'm in love when the movie is doing it. Um, <laughs> I also love when Frick decides to kill himself, but he like takes the wrong drugs. And what does it say? He The creature comes up and it says, your sins will be read to you ceaselessly in shifts throughout eternity the list will never end <laughs> i was laughing so hard you, yeah, that's a perfect segue one thousand years later they had reached the sixth grade the year he had discovered masturbation and you know it's like oh fuck like it's over we have so long to and go. he's sitting there he's like well at least i bought good wine <laughs> I, I mean it's a perfect segue my favorite scene is the suicide of charles freck like that is mm. the the it's like the, the way they did it it's it's great in the book but the way they did it in the movie actually to me was better because in the book they kind of like stagger it because they talk about how freck like wants to kill himself but it's just like he's got to like find the right time it's not like he's scared he's just like overly drug addicty about it where he's like oh i gotta find the right time and the right place and all this stuff and uh but that scene was done so beautifully the the interdimensional creature with like the thousand eyes on its head and just it was just perfect like yeah and then charles freck and the narration yeah just the resignation like charles freck realized that he was gonna he wasn't gonna go like off i i wish uh, at least i got good wine yeah where where was uh, there was a great oh the fountainhead the yes (laughs) he would be found lying on his back on his bed with a copy of ann rand's the fountainhead (laughs) and an unfinished letter to exxon protesting the cancellation of his gas card that way he would (laughs) indict the system and achieve something by his death the height of dark comedy in the (laughs) film so fucking funny dude oh my god i was dying like that just that seems still makes me laugh so bad. Uh, intro with uh, the next thing he saw, a creature from between dimensions was standing beside his bed, looking down at him disapprovingly. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, that made me laugh almost as hard as the one second where Robert Downey Jr. turns into a cockroach and goes, he flicks his tongue out, <laughs> and that's such like a yeah. We were saying that earlier. Like I don't know how many of my friends have actually done that very yeah. thing to me you while look I'm at tripping him. balls. You're high, <laughs> and your friend just fucks with you in this microscopic <laughs> way. That's perfect. Yeah. Yep. The the uh, yeah, um that scene is hilarious to me. The final scene because I think that the writing in that the part where he says that they'll take shifts. Oh, I yes. love how an interdimensional like creature even needs to be like, yeah, this is way too fucking long. <laughs> we need to get in shifts. Yeah, we need to get another interdimensional <laughs> creature in here. In shifts like, is if you want to describe <laughs> Philip K. Dick's writing style, oh, in shifts sick. that part is so oh, Philip K. Dick. Like that right yeah. there is so quintessentially <laughs> that makes his it, writing. That makes the that <laughs> makes the paragraph, that makes that whole part of the story just in yeah. shifts. Like yeah. in one in two words, he's able to describe just how long this list is. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like it's yeah, it's that's really great. Like I don't know. And then just you know, of course my, a couple of my favorite scenes, I mean, you know, some honorable mentions would be pretty much any scene where Keanu is monologuing from the book. Those moments, you know, what does a scanner see? And then uh, uh, one of my, probably my favorite line in the whole um, movie is, uh, I'm cursed and cursed again. I'll only wind up dead this way, knowing very little and getting that little fragment wrong too. Like that, whoa, that was like existentialism (laughs) wave just washes over you where you're like, yep, that's pretty much the extent of all of our lives is knowing very little and getting that very little wrong. Yeah. On the topic of the Philip K. Dick prose, I think if I were to say one problem I had with the movie, which is a very small problem, I loved this movie. Um, it did feel like there was a little bit of a shift between the movie talk and the Philip K. Dick talk, like the monologues. You're like, Oh, that's a monologue from the book, and it just stood out. I'm not saying oh, yeah. it's bad or anything like that. It just happens to stand out. Yep, I, And that's I what agree. I think is one of the main difficulties with interpreting literature to film, written literature to film. It's not only like, what are you going to include? What are you not going to include? You know, which characters are you going to just morph into one character because you don't have the fucking time? Which all makes sense. But 
it's really, really hard to put yourself up as a screenwriter to someone like Philip K. Dick. Like, if you're going to adapt The Hungry Caterpillar, okay. But <laughs> if you're going to do something, like, really big, you know, and there's lots of dialogue-heavy driven prose in the literature, it's always going to stick Imagine out. if this movie was its length, but all the prose. We might like it, yeah, exactly. but it would be yeah. universally uh, hated. I don't know. I don't think right? it, I think it would be terrible. It, it's like it exactly the whole the book is written like that. Yeah. And so exactly. you, that's why it's so like weirdly juxtaposed is because Richard Linklater did, I think, a really good job of making this mo- this this film and this content digestible. Yeah, he did a good job adapting the screenplay. It was Ex- him. Exactly. So when you hit the moments of the book, it's like, oh, okay, well, this is how the book's written. Because, you know, Philip K. Dick was doing his thing like one, like, like a little, only a little later than Tolkien. You know what I mean? Like Philip K. Dick's yeah, like the fifties, the fifties like and stuff like that. Like he's this is a, yeah, he was born in twenty eight. Yeah, like the, he was writing and coming up with science fiction while Tolkien was writing Lord of the Rings and stuff like that. Like so, this is very old content that they're that they're dealing with, and it has that that style to it, that very linguistic and elegant style that was in, even even from a drug addict, very indicative in that era of writing. Philip K. Dick is a weird writer to me. I re- I fucking love, love him. him. I fucking but, love him. But like, I think a lot of the time his writing is not very good. Like, it's not very well structured, and the prose isn't that great. It's like more about ideas. Yes. Which is it makes me want to read Scanner though, because a lot of these soliloquies are are really great and profound and really well done. So I wonder if this was like a rare moment of his, like actually having writer's skill as opposed to just like storyteller's skill he's a much better storyteller and thinker than he was a writer if you're it's it's a difference if philip k dick is trying to tell a story off an acid trip that he was having binged with coke and like like conflating the ideas and creating something cool like do androids dream of electric sheep or valis or any of these kind of uh more like heady science fiction stories that don't have much like context or plot to them. Uh, Whereas in Scanner Darkly is a movie that's dedicated and about his life and his friends. That's something Mm -hmm. that's very specific about this movie that we can't gloss over is that this movie is about loss and not about entirely, but it has a heavy theme of loss and friendship. And, and it's more personal story to him than a lot of his narratives. Exactly. So yeah, the book I think you'd really like if that's what you're looking for, because the book reads very clearly and and more of like a novel and has a coherent story and that kind of has an A B C D plot. And so I think you would actually like that more. Yeah, I love I love Androids. I've read it many times. Yeah. That's that's a that's a great example of what I'm talking about because I don't think that book is well written unlike the sentence level a lot sure. of the time but it's just a, an amazing galaxy of ideas like spider webbing in and out of each other well, i mean his um, influence is unquestionable well, but I mean. speaking of dick on film which <laughs> is not as dirty as it sounds i promise where does this rank because you have some other great ones you have blade, blade runner. runner of course you have total recall although i'm not sure like how how closely <laughs> that goofy arnold schwarzenegger movie <laughs> follows the original storyline yeah i would probably i mean me personally i put scanner darkly as the best representation of philip k dick's books and ideas blade runner is uh a loose interpretation of androids what about paycheck starring ben affleck i'm gonna t- i don't know what yeah I've never- <laughs> it's bad um, okay <laughs> it is based the on man in the high though. castle was I thought actually a very bold attempt and I think that they did a really good job with the TV show until the very end. I think it ran out of steam and it was ended terribly and I also think that the caliber of actors that they had was really, really bad. Um, The main character of that show basically ruined the show. She and her two love interests were probably the worst actors on the whole project and I've never seen them act again. So Rufus Sewell was in it, however, and he was great. Mm, we got to do dark city someday. Dark city is a great movie. Nothing to do with Philip K. Dick, just Rufus <laughs> Sewell. Although it could have been actually, it's a very Dickian concept. It is. 
Um, what about the adjustment? But the man Bureau? in the high castle is, is good. I haven't seen that with Matt Damon. So there's two there's two ones you guys need to see. Hilariously starring Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. <laughs> Great. Um, what's the, the Minority fuck. Report? That's a good one. Are you just talking about movies now, or movies that are off Philip K. Dick books? These are all off Philip K. Dick books. Minority Report is a Philip K. Dick book. Yeah. Really? I didn't even. According know that. to the internet, is a it might have been called something else. I just I just saw a list of uh movies that oh, are based on his Oh, it's one of his, his short book. stories. Okay. Yeah. Yes. I which one of I his mean, endless short yes, stories. He, he it is a, a big debate on whether Philip K Dick is a better short story writer or novelist. There are a lot of people in the camp of like his short stories are far far better than his novels. Um but I haven't really delved that hard into his short stories yet. I have I have the complete works of his short stories as one book, but I haven't gotten into He'll, it. A lot of them are very similar. <laughs> he's very what afraid about, of robot apocalypses. Have you seen Next, Jesse? Oh, the um, that's the Nicolas Cage one, right? Yeah. I, I have. I don't remember it at all. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't look very Is that good, what we're but... doing next? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, to, to tie it all back into the film real quick, though, I mean, I, I mean the ending, as we've kind of touched on, uh, is very magical and special in its own way of Bob kind of becoming so lobotomized that they they feel safe enough to transfer him to the agricultural division of New Path and to which he discovers that indeed New Path is growing the deadly flower. And, you know, Bob notices it and they do a little cute line where he's like, when am I going to see my friends? And he's like, well, you see him on holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas. So, so Thanksgiving, that'll be the next one. And he like goes and sees it, and like you're saying, Alex. Like uh, I, I saw, I looked up, I looked down, saw death growing from the ground. And there's a great point that when he says, when he stands up, he can't see them anymore. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was like really interesting. Like when he stands up from the field, they're invisible. It's only when he bent down, he actually could see them all. And I, I just thought that was like a great kind of metaphor on what substance D did to these people. Yeah, I mean, even the way that if you want to read it in the way that, like, I don't know, only when you are in the low doldrums of life, right, and you earn, like, the dirty, seedy social um, circles that Bob was in, that's when you, like, see the real workings of the machine going on, right? Yeah, this movie's awesome. It's visually super interesting. It's it's frequently hilarious. I was laughing out loud at least three separate times for like quite a while. Yeah. Um, becomes really impactful at the end, as we've detailed. It leads you into this like psychosis state where you're trying to figure out what's going on. And I always love that in a movie. Great performances. Robert Downey Jr. and, um, oh God, what's his name? Help me out here. Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson just absolutely yeah. smashed this movie. They Let's own go it. get those orphan gears, man. Yeah, as the junkies, they're <laughs> just phenomenal. And uh, yeah, it's it's a sweet movie. I'm glad you picked it. Yeah, had a lot I'm, of fun. I'm glad I picked it. I'm Same. glad Alex uh, really enjoyed it. That was oh, important to me. It. And the ending, the very f- ending, like the very very final little crawl. There's a uh, dedication oh. to all of the friends that Philip K. Dick had lost to addiction and, himself. and it's I teared up. I teared very, up. Yeah, I tear up at the end of this movie every yeah. time. I mean, just like it's either deceased or permanent psychosis or permanent like vascular damage, permanent brain damage. So yeah, I think the Phil he t- refers to is him. Well, he's in a lot of his own books. But yes, there is Yeah, uh, so like there it says to Phil like permanent pancreatic. Oh, yeah, damage. yeah, that's yeah, that's where he died. Yes, he he does. Phil is him mm. for sure, but he also inserts himself into his books as far as characters as well. Like I believe he's oh, like, okay, from, like a representation of Freck in this book. It'll make you laugh. It'll make you cry. It's our hackneyed critic review for <laughs> Metacritic. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. All right. Um. Yeah. Let's wrap it up. Real weirdos. Next week we're going to talk about a vastly different film. I don't know. It's an interesting one. I'll just say that. All right. And uh, we'll wrap it up here. Yep. Thanks, you guys, joining me on this fun ride of one of my favorite films. And we'll see you all next time. Bye-bye.
Now our podcast is done, and we have to run. We know it is sad, but we had so much fun. Don't be bereft, Jesse, Alex, and Jeff. We'll be back real soon. The real weirdos. We talk about movies for way too goddamn long. Boo, 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 boo.